Good morning, everybody. My plan is to continue after the holidays with Elijah, the series on Elijah and the Higher Self, because there's still a lot more I want to get into there. But I want to do some things to honor the season and with Christmas. So I'm going to look at two passages from the New Testament, the Gospels. First one comes from John's Gospel, chapter 6. And where do I want? I was looking in the other Bible. <clears throat> yes, verse uh, 32 of John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 32. says, Then Jesus said to the multitude, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he said to, and then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And then come with me to Luke's gospel and chapter two and verse one. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while this guy whose name I can't pronounce was governing Syria. (laughs) Sorry, didn't mean to mess up your Christmas story. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went out from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch of their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, around the shepherds. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, And this will be a sign to you. Everybody just say sign. (laughs) You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Perfect timing. (laughs) That is awesome. You just couldn't even have planned that better. <laughs> I thought the angel, I thought pretty soon we were going to all see angels breaking out and just the heavenly host singing for hallelujah. So I want to look at some things that maybe we miss because there are deeper truths the way that the gospel writers tell the story. They, they are telling it in such a way that they are not as concerned about, uh, historical fact and conveying historical fact and historical information because there's nothing about historical information that is transforming or that feeds your soul. 
In other words, uh, if we only understand Jesus of Nazareth in his historical context, then how can he be the bread of life uh, that comes and gives life to the world? Do you, see, do you see what I'm saying? And so the reality of Christ is that uh, the Christ is an ever-present reality that exists, if you will, in the eternal now. Uh, in the eternal now, in a place... Uh, so it's a really interesting thing about time and about our lives and about our minds that we are constantly moving from the future into the past. Uh, even as I'm talking, the reality is, have you ever thought about this? You're always in the past in the sense that you're always a millisecond behind everything. Here's what I mean. I'm saying the words before you're able to process their meaning, right? It takes time for you to recall, believe it or not, there is a process in the brain where you recall the language and what the word means and all the associations and actually all your sensory input that comes in from the present moment puts you a split second in the past in your experience. <laughs> right? I know. It's, it's, it's a gift, brother. He just said, who thinks that stuff? <laughs> it's a gift. It's what keeps me awake at night, watching YouTube videos and trying to get my mind off that stuff. But anyway, a little inside joke if you came to the first service. But... But here's my point. Um, really, something that happened in the past does not have the power to help you in your present moment. And it does not have the power to change your future. And if the gospel is about anything, it's about giving you help in your present moment. Otherwise, Jesus is not a savior. If he cannot save you from what you're going through or save you from what's happening in your present moment, then he really has no power to save at all. And because we have fixated on Jesus as a historical figure, then we have, we have reduced salvation down to a future event that happens after you die, rather than something that you can access moment by moment as you walk through your life. Thank you. Which means that the Christ, then, in order to be the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, has to exist in a place that is untouched by past or future. Otherwise, it becomes inaccessible. In this present moment, your past is not accessible to you because you're no longer there. And your future is, no long, is not accessible to you yet because you have yet to walk into it. The only place that you have access to anything is in the present moment. So therefore, the only place that you can access the power of God, the presence of God, and the salvation of Christ is in your present moment. So it makes no sense really if all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for us, it makes very little sense for the gospel writers to have been simply fixated on communicating for us historical facts. Because history does not have the power to transform. It has the power to inform but it does not have the power to transform. So therefore, 
what's going on is that there are things hidden in the stories that are types and shadows and patterns that have deeper meanings that are meant to get to the places of your soul that you don't even know exist. We sang today, it is well with my soul, but is it? Or is that sort of a religious phrase and phrase and cliche and thing that we like to sing to make ourselves feel better? Because the truth of the matter is, and, and here's the thing, your soul is a much larger landscape than you can possibly appreciate. One of the worst mistakes that we've made, I think, in the Western world is believing that we are simply, that our consciousness is contained solely within these physical bodies. There's, that, that is really a presupposition that we make, then there's no hard evidence for that. In fact, the brain researchers who have done a lot of the pioneering work as well as some of the most cutting edge and sophisticated work today have all said, now of course there's not agreement of any scholar or scientist on anything at any time. You do realize this, right? It's just true. If you don't realize that, you don't know enough. If you think, if you believe in scientific fact, you don't know enough. Do I need to bring a scientist, like a PhD scientist up to tell you that? Because that's just the truth. But here's what brain researchers, uh, pioneers of brain research, and some of the cutting edge uh, people say, is they say your thought, your consciousness is not, is not coming from your brain. Your brain is merely the vehicle that is transmitting whatever consciousness is and wherever it comes from, it is merely the vehicle that is transmitting that into your physical body so that you can give expression to it on the physical plane. But they acknowledge that it's coming from somewhere else. That's just the truth. So our problem is, is that we think we're only that our consciousness or the landscape of our soul is contained within this body and so we have a tendency to make ourselves much smaller than what we are in terms of what we can actually feel and think and believe and accomplish in the realm of consciousness. And Christ, while existing in the present moment, exists also in this realm of consciousness. That's where the heavenly places are. Wherever your thoughts are coming from, wherever your feelings are coming from, and registering within the brain is made of the same substance, if you will, that the heavens are made of. The same substance that the angels are made of the same substance that God, or Logos, in the beginning was the Logos, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Logos, in its essence, is the mind of God. So Christ exists in the realm of consciousness, in the eternal now, so that Christ can be the bread of life that gives life to the world. And feeds your soul. So then I bring you back to the question, is it well with your soul? Because what you may discover is it is well with parts of my soul. 
It's well with areas of my soul. And the other areas where it's not well, I just push away. Because I don't want to deal with them. Uh, I just... And what I've discovered is that our souls and our consciousness can be very complicated matters. And so the gospel writers are writing in such a way to open up to you realms of consciousness within your own being where you can find the Christ who exists in the eternal now and in the realm of consciousness. That's why Paul said Christ in you is the hope of glory. Not Christ other than you. Not Christ instead of you. Not Christ outside of you. Christ in you. And not in your circulatory system. But in the center of your consciousness. Because what you'll discover is if you ever find the center of your consciousness, you'll find the center of the universe. Because even the Bible says the things which we see were not made of things which were visible. So everything comes out of the realm of consciousness and then manifests in physical form. But now, as we're living our lives and as we're walking through, how many of you have ever gone through a trauma? How many of you have ever gone through a problem? How many of you have ever felt rejection? Or how many of you have ever been scared? How many of you have ever been scared to death? Literally, like where, how many of you have ever experienced a shock or a trauma to your, to your being? How many of you have ever experienced a disappointment or the loss of someone close to you or the loss of a relationship or a betrayal or something where you had this emotional energy on the inside of you? You had a burden to carry because of life in general, because of your mistakes, because of someone else's mistakes. You know, the scriptures say that there is a tongue that speaks sharp as a sword and can wound the very depths of your being. Did you know that the the scriptures also say just listening to gossip can cause injuries in your spirit? And so we go through, as, as we go through life, we, 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 we collect all kinds of experiences and we internalize these experiences or at the very least they leave imprints upon our souls. Some of them pleasant experiences, some of them unpleasant experiences. Some of them things we looked forward to and made us happy. Other things that were things that we never wanted to experience that left us scarred. And... Did you really know? Because if you did, I'd like to know where you got the class. I mean, maybe you had a family that just emotionally had it all together. Maybe both of your parents were emotionally available and you learned at a very young age how to experience and process the emotions that you were experiencing. Good for you. We'll let you teach a class. (laughs) If nothing else, we'll let you teach a parenting class to me and Julie. And anybody else that wants to come. I'm just saying, how did you deal with those moments? How did you deal with those heartbreaks or those disappointments throughout your life? What did you do with all that stuff? I think for most of us, we just kind of 
pushed it away, tried to think about something else, right? But when it comes up, what comes up with it? Right, all the feelings, all that stuff. So here's the interesting thing. The moment, this is why your consciousness is so powerful. The only place those moments exist is inside the realm of your own consciousness. The only place it exists is inside your soul. That's the life-giving power of being made in the image of God. An event that no longer has any existence. This is this connects with the Gospels. Listen, Jesus lived and walked the earth 2,000 years ago. He was born 2,000 years ago. He was crucified 2,000 years ago. Boy, I could feel the preach coming on me, right? He, he was raised from the dead 2,000 And we can talk about those historical events, but they're done and gone. The Roman, the, there, there are no Romans nailing people to crosses anymore. Uh, you can go, I suppose, to the promised land and find where they tell you the tomb of Jesus is and it's empty and 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 all that great stuff but it's still over and done with it it has no substance in the physical realm it has no substance in the physical realm but it has incredible power in terms of word and thought and idea because that's where the imprint of it was left do you hear what i'm saying that's why paul could say the preaching of the gospel is the salvation of god because what he's doing is he's accessing the realm of consciousness where the reality of the christ exists and the reality of his his body and blood and all that stuff exists and then able to bring it forth in the power of the spirit through words in a way that impacts and feeds people so that if they believe it, they can have salvation. The gospel, the preaching, the message, that which is coming from consciousness, Romans chapter 1 says, is the power of God unto salvation. You get that? So, the story is told in such a way that here we have Joseph, whose name means a fruitful vine. Espoused to a woman, if you're Catholic, get ready to be shocked, whose name Mary comes from the Hebrew word Mara, which means bitter and also rebellion. So you have a fruitful vine espoused or joined to that which is bitter and rebellious. And they've never come together in the biblical way. <laughs> She's a virgin, for those of you from Avondale. <laughs> or Boone. Those of you that don't know, I'm from Avondale, so, you know. She's a virgin. Even though they're walking together, they haven't joined. And she's carrying the Christ child. Right? And she's going to Bethlehem. Now, the interesting thing about Bethlehem is the word Beth in Hebrew means house. And literally, Lehem, Bethlehem means the house of bread. Everybody just say with me, the house of bread. So isn't it interesting that the bread of life 
that the Father gave who came down from heaven is born in the house of bread. Now here's the other thing that's interesting about it. Lahem was the Canaanite god of fertility. And so um, you have the story of the birth of Christ taking place in a city that was dedicated to a pagan god of fertility. But understand that fertility in the ancient realm, ancient world, wasn't about sex. It was about food. It was about seed time and harvest. It was about having fertile earth and fertile ground. Got it? And there are myths that you can discover um, going all the way back to ancient Egypt. You can look at Osiris in ancient Egypt. You can look at Dionysus in the Greek mystery religions that predate the time of Christ. And what you discover is the idea that bread represents the body of a god is not a new idea. Dionysus was the, the god of wine, and when they would do ceremonies to Dionysus, they would be drinking his blood. And in Egypt, Osiris was the sun god, and they understood that the sun was essential for the fertility of the land. So when the grain came up from the ground and they turned it into bread, they said you were eating the body of Osiris. So Jesus is being born in the house of bread, the house of fertility, with fruitfulness and pain and rebellion. that haven't come together. You seen the picture? Now here's the interesting thing. He's born in a manger. What is a manger? It's a feeding trough. It's a barn, but the manger itself, the crib, is where the beasts of burden would eat. Now the shepherds, when the angel appears to the shepherds, it's an interesting thing. Because you've seen it so many, played out so many different ways and the way the Christmas story is portrayed in plays and performances and cartoons and whatever, you have this picture of the glory around the angels. But if you read the story carefully, it doesn't say there was glory around the angels. It says that there was glory around the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. Not around the angels. In a very literal sense, the language there in the Greek means they were transfigured. Which means their own glory was awakened. Remember, Paul said, Christ in you is what? The hope of glory. So when the hope of glory is born, the human beings who first receive the message before they can hear the message have to be transfigured. Before they can hear that which is coming from the realm of consciousness, their consciousness has to be lit up. So something had to happen to them before they could even have the experience of hearing the event. Right? So what does all this mean to us? Anybody who's done real work on themselves, anybody who's even paid attention to themselves, recognizes that there are times that they act consistent with their values and ideas and beliefs 
And then there are other times they act totally inconsistent with their values and their beliefs. (laughs) And if you don't think you do that, you're not paying attention to yourself. Ask your partner or spouse or boss or anybody that has the guts to tell you the truth that knows you, (laughs) and they'll help you see yourself. (laughs) Got it? And sometimes it's like these parties don't know each other. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's like Joseph, who represents fruitfulness for us, who represents, if you will, the honorable side, represents, if you will, the, the, the side we want to put out for everybody. Mary represents the side we want to hide from everybody. Because watch what Joseph does. Joseph represents your persona. He represents the face that you put on for public. And Mary represents that part of which Joseph tries to put away secretly in order not to have any shame. Because if you read before, when he finds out, when Mary says, hey, I'm having a baby, I mean, just, you know, forget the Hollywood sentimental, oh, Christmas card story. And just imagine this woman that he's to be married to comes and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Well, we all know how that happens. No, no, no. This, this was, this is, this was the Son of God. This was the Holy Spirit. Sure, it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I'm just supposed to take your word for it that Gabriel was just an angel. <laughs> Think about it. So he decides to put her away, but not do it publicly in order to not disgrace. So watch. Joseph represents the fruitful side, the side we want to show everybody, the side of all of our accomplishments, the, the side of all our good deeds, all that stuff. And Mary represents the bitterness that we want to shove in the back. Mary represents the rebellious part of us that we want to shove in the back, the part that brings us disgrace, the part that doesn't reflect the image that we're trying to reflect to everybody. In Jungian psychology, Mary would represent the shadow self. The part of the, we don't want anybody to know about. Like, anybody ever hear that? Anybody ever get discouraged? All right, this moment of transparency. Like, you see this thing on Facebook. And it says, and I know you guys have heard it, you know, and there is truth to it, but let's just be honest. A man's character is not measured, or a woman's character, a person's character is not measured by what they do in front of people. It's what they do when nobody's looking. Is there anybody (laughs) that ever read that and thought, dang, (laughs) I got some work to do. (laughs) Come on, let's just be, let's just be honest. I mean, there's a reason that statement is out there because there are lots of things that, there are a lot of Marys that we just try to put away publicly and pretend like. Right, and we read that, and, and, and I always hear that like coming at me in such a self-righteous way that just heeps condemnation on me. I mean, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Because the truth of the matter is, if you think you don't have a, a Mary, if you think you don't have a rebellious part or a, or a bitter part or a wounded part or a hurt part, then, then you, don't, you haven't even begun to wake up yet. And I'm just telling you right now, that's cool. you live by you live in Egypt by the de- 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 you live in Egypt by the Nile River. <laughs> but 
But here's what I want you to see. (laughs) Joseph is not carrying the hope. And Joseph is not carrying the Christ child. And the fact of the matter is, Joseph cannot be fruitful without Mary. The power for salvation is not in the face that is good that you put in front of everybody. The power for your salvation is in the shadows. Which is why, because it's in the shadows, because frankly, Joseph, hear this the right way. Somebody's going to nail me on my theology here. Just get a life. (laughs) Joseph doesn't need a savior. Joseph is fruitful all on his own. Come on, guys. Joseph in the Bible is the guy who did everything right. Joseph's the guy who had the dream. Everybody's going to bow down to me. Joseph's the guy that got thrown into prison and didn't get bitter at his brothers, or sold into Egypt but didn't get bitter at his brothers. Joseph's the guy who didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. Joseph's the guy that was ruling in Potiphar's wife and ruling in the prison and ruling over Egypt. And then when he had a chance to take his vengeance on his brothers, he didn't take vengeance on his brothers. Joseph doesn't need a savior. And the problem for us is there's no room in our inn for both our sides of our personality. We don't allow them to dwell together in harmony. We try to push up the Joseph self, the fruitful self, and we try to keep the Mary self hidden back away from disgrace and shame because we don't want everybody to know that Mary's been naughty. You see it? And so there's no room in our inn. And so we just keep going through life, going through the motions, not ever really healing ourselves, not ever really discovering the glory of the Christ consciousness that is within us, never really discovering the seeds of greatness that God has planted inside of us, because in order to find Christ in you, who is the hope of glory, you have to also find that (laughs) he's coming out of Mary. And lying in a manger. Which means you have to face the darkness within yourself. You have to face the pain. So in other words, those little situations that you went through, <laughs> um, all the compromises, all the, all, all the stuff that makes us messy. And so what we find oftentimes is there's no room in the end for all that. We can't let them dwell together. So what happens is, is we dwell publicly in this face and we dwell privately in this face and we deny that the two are even joined in one body. (laughs) And if I'm not talking to you today, good for you. I'm glad you're whole. You're not my audience. Because here's the thing. Here's the message. I bring you glad tidings of great joy which will be to all the parts of yourself. 
There is born this day in the house of bread a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you'll find him lying in a feeding trough, ready to supply all your inner beasts of burden with what they've been hungering for. Because, see, I don't know about you, but I know inside of myself, I've got parts of myself that carry the burdens of all the crap I've been through. I have little parts of myself where if I don't want to deal with painful circumstances and situations, I put them away and I have little beasts of burden, if you will, that come up and it's their job to carry those burdens for me so I don't have to deal with them every stinking second of my life. Amen? <laughs> and sometimes those guys, and, and, and here's the thing, the scripture said don't muzzle the ox while he treads out the corn. And so here's the thing, if you just have sort of a, a internal waste dump inside yourself where you just dump all the pain and hurt that you go through because you don't want to deal with it, then what happens is you just load up those beasts of burden. But if you never give them attention, you're muzzling the ox while it's treading out the corn. And what needs to happen is there needs to be a shepherd inside of you that is enlightened enough that it can lead the beast of burden inside your own life to the feeding trough where they can find the Savior who is Christ the Lord, who can feed them what they're hungry for, but also who can take their burdens away from them. Because listen, I, I, I refuse, and I know this is going to be a controversial statement, and we may have a lot fewer people here next week, and I may lose a lot of people on YouTube and whatever else, but I'm at the point I don't even care anymore. I refuse to believe in a God of love who terrorizes people into serving them by promising eternal conscious torment if they don't. Amen. I just refuse to believe in that anymore. I just, I just have rejected that image of God and I don't find it compelling. I don't find it inspiring. I find it horrifying. And I've done my homework and I know that I can still believe the Bible and don't have to believe in that particular God. Right? Why I said that, I have no idea. Where was I going? <laughs> just felt good to get that off my chest. Because what we've done is we've, because we've looked at, we have, can I tell you? You know who the Antichrist is? It may shock you to find out that the term Antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation. Oh, and you know who is ascribed the authorship of the book of Revelation? The only writer in the entire Bible who actually uses the term Antichrist. John. The term Antichrist is in your Bible, and John's the one who coined it, but it's not in the book of Revelation. It's in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he says, this is <laughs> the spirit of Antichrist. He said, there are many Antichrists that have gone out into the world. And he said, this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whoever denies that Jesus Christ has come, in the flesh. 
And so, because our language is a little bit limited, we think he's talking about the historical Jesus. But in the Greek language, there's these funny tenses. And so the tense that it is in, in the um, Greek is that he has come and remains and abides with us. So whoever denies that Christ has come and remains and abides with us is the Antichrist. Well, where does he abide? In your consciousness. So can I tell you, really what John is saying is he's saying that which denies the present abiding reality of Christ in you is the spirit of Antichrist, or it simply means is against Christ. So if you take Christ and make him only a historical figure, and take his salvation and only make it a future event, you have denied the reality of the abiding presence of Christ and operated unknowingly, unconsciously, in a spirit of Antichrist. Thank you. So it's really simple. (laughs) If we can acknowledge that there are parts of us that are not healed yet, there are parts of us that are still bitter. There are parts of us that are still rebellious. There are parts of us that have not joined themselves to the fruitful face that we put ourselves out in front of everywhere. But even though they haven't joined themselves, they're still pregnant with a Savior. And if we can understand that we haven't made room for this in our inn and go outside of our normal states of consciousness to access the parts of ourselves that are wounded, to access the parts of ourselves that are hurting and be okay with it instead of trying to put them away and lead our beasts of burden If we can just by faith, this is where faith comes in. This is where by faith, I access Christ as an idea. I access Christ as a belief. If you want me to use the religious term for it so that you don't get it, you access it by faith. But faith is an idea. Faith is a belief. There's a reason we put images in the church because the church used to have icons galore go into an older church why did they have that because they understood they were using images to bring Christ out of the realm of ideas into the realm of reality where it could touch and feed your soul Now, if I had just said, access Christ in you by faith, nobody would have a problem with it. But we don't break down what faith is. Faith is a belief. Faith is an image. Faith is ultimately an idea. Tell me how you can have any kind of faith without having an idea that you believe in. So when I sit in meditation... And I dwell upon the idea of Christ. We're going to do it today. 
Why did, what did Paul say? What did Jesus say? And what did Paul say that the whole purpose of the communion meal was? This do what? In remembrance of me. Why do I have to do it in remembrance of him? What is it? Is it like Memorial Day? Is that what we think? We're just, it's just a day to remember people who existed and died and oh, okay, we're just remembering them and it's just, it's just like, like any of those other days that, that we, that where we, where we mark somebody who was? No, that's not, the, that's not even, in, in, in the Greek it's, it's a much more powerful word. It means that you go into the realm of ideas and through your consciousness you access something that happened in the past but has a present tense moment and you bring it forth and bring it forward. Which is why the church talked about the real presence of Christ in the body and in in the cup of... Uh, 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 it's where the whole idea that it becomes the body and blood of the Lord, transubstantiation, comes from. That through the power of your consciousness, you are going and accessing something that had eternal significance. Something that had eternal power. Something that had eternal effect. That Christ offered Himself, the book of Hebrews says, offered His blood through the eternal Spirit to God. And the eternal spirit is an idea. It exists in the realm of consciousness. So when we come to the communion table, what we do is we go into the realm of ideas and we access the power and the presence and the reality of Christ whose body was broken for you, whose blood was shed for the remission of your sins so that you could internalize it, you could take it into yourself and you didn't have to feel ashamed anymore because Mary got pregnant but didn't have a husband. You don't have to feel ashamed anymore because of all the things that you did when nobody was watching. There is no gospel power in saying that you've got great character when nobody's watching because it denies the reality of your humanity. And sometimes we are very dehumanizing to one another when we don't understand that some of us go through stuff. Some of us go through difficulties. Listen, there's always a reason that someone is experiencing what they're experiencing. And if we could just get over our self-righteousness Selves, maybe we could understand that people are doing the best they can with what they have and they're making the best choices they can with the resources that they have and you don't know about Mary and you don't know about the beast of burden that, that, that has been carrying pain and shame and heartache all their lives. All you want to do is judge them according to your lens of some external right or wrong from some alien God that is apart from you that exists out there somewhere that you hope someday I can only imagine when I get to heaven someday I'm going to see Him and I'm going to fall down. And we play that song at, at funerals and whatever else and God bless the people that wrote that song. But I want to tell you something. God exists. The Christ event exists inside your own consciousness. And the whole thing of communion is to access that and bring it forth to release the power of it so that you can be set free. So that you can be healed. 
so that you can be delivered, so that you can be forgiven. But if I deny I've got any parts in bondage, then what good is the gospel to me? If I deny that I've got any parts hurting, what good is the gospel to me? If I deny that I've got any parts that aren't still sinning, then what good is the gospel to me? What good is the body and blood of Jesus? No, I've stepped into a legalistic, self-righteous spirit of Antichrist that's denying the reality of the present Christ to heal and set people free. That's denying what the angel said. That this is good news, which will be to all people that will cause great joy, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Goodwill from where? Goodwill from heaven. Goodwill from the angels. And it should be in this season and every day of our lives, goodwill from ourselves towards other people. Where we step into situations and say, I'm desiring the highest good for myself. I'm stepping into this situation and desiring the highest good for someone else and, and all people involved. That's having goodwill. Did I touch something in you this morning? Did, did, did God touch something in you this morning? Do you have some beasts of burden? Do you have some wounded parts or some parts that are carrying things that they no longer need to carry? Do you have a Mary that's being put away in shame that you don't even realize that inside, you understand what I'm saying? Inside that bitterness, inside that rebellion is Christ, the hope of glory. But if you don't ever go to Mary... That's why the shepherds had to go. That's why they had to go and see this thing. Too many of us have just been hearing messages. Too many of us have just been hearing about a Savior. We're not willing to go outside the inn where there's no room and see this thing for ourselves. And experience this thing for ourselves and discover this thing for ourselves because we're too afraid of the Marys in our life. We're too, our, our beasts are too tired. So I wonder today if you have beasts inside you that are tired of carrying anxiety. I wonder if you have parts of you that carry shame and rejection and they're tired of carrying the shame and the rejection. I wonder if you have parts of you, little younger parts of you, that are tired of trying to be good and tired of trying to live up to everybody else's standard and expectation. And they want the very best for you, but they're carrying on and carrying on and carrying on those parts inside of you. And they just need to know that somebody loves them. They just need to know that somebody accepts them. They just need to know that in this season, there is a Savior that's been born who came to lift our burdens, take all that stuff away, so that really when we sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's not just a religious... Start speaking in tongues. It's not just a religious cliché. But it's real bread and something we can sink our teeth into that gives life for the world. Let's close your eyes. I doubt there's a person in here that can't relate to this on some level. 
I can't believe for one second there's not a person in here that isn't carrying shame or rejection or pain or burdens on some level of your life. I want you to go within the center of your being right now. Just the idea, just grasp the idea that in the center of your soul is the Christ child. In the center of your soul is Christ the Lord, Savior, who wants to bring joy to all people. And regardless of what any church or pastor or book or televangelist or anybody has said, Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, I condemn no one, I judge no one. If anyone will, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. If anyone is hungry, let him come unto me and eat. In Luke's gospel, Jesus seeks and saves those who are lost. He's searching out those that feel like they're not good enough. Those that feel like they've fallen too far. Just grab the idea of that incredible person an incredible presence of Christ who is in you you can see him in your mind's eye you can feel his presence or you can just access the idea of him and the moment you do that all the presence all the power all the healing all the grace all the goodness of who Christ is becomes available to you And what would happen if you released just one of those burdens today? If you just brought one of those little parts up that was hurting, that was needy, that was hungry, that was thirsty, and gave them to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand up, saints. Let's just lift our hands right now. Just enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy the anointing of the Holy Spirit right now. Just let it touch you. Let it fill you. Let Him heal you, deliver you, save you, feed you. Whatever you need right now in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your healing presence moving all over lives and hearts and minds, bringing healing and deliverance safety and peace peace on earth and goodwill towards men it's the first Sunday of the month so we are celebrating communion I don't think I need to do the ritual (laughs) if you were listening at all I want you to be mindful that the scripture says this we do in remembrance that Jesus took the bread and he broke it he gave thanks and he said this is my body which is broken for you He's the bread of life that comes down from heaven to feed your soul. Then he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant which was shed for the remission of your sins. If you're feeling guilty this morning, if you're feeling ashamed, if you're feeling condemned, don't. Just stop it. Just drink that cup and realize, hallelujah, it's it's all good. (laughs) Just get over yourself already.
But I want to invite you to come. We've got both tables open. Our communion tables are open to whoever so wills can come and eat and drink and receive something of value and healing and significance into your heart and into your life today. I bless you. We'll have people that will be able to pray for you if you need it. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.